Good morning, it's Wednesday the 22nd of February and you're listening to Galway Talks with me, John Morley. Coming up on the programme today, call for amendments to be made to Mother and Baby Homes Redress Scheme with 40% of survivors excluded. Galway Doctor discusses Global Gentle Heart Disease Awareness Month. Quick Smoking West team, Mark Ash Wednesday. Outrage in Merlin Park after a large area of woodland is felled by the HSC. Power Up team wins Irish leg of Invent for the Planet for prototype affordable energy generator. Galway features on this week's episode of Home of the Year. Loud and Cleary Irish Tour from September-October 2023. Tickets on sale now. And the Business and Professional Women's BPW Galway to host its annual candle lighting supper this Friday. And we'll have motoring with Jerry Murphy and job spot with Patricia Hines and much more. Plenty of news, views and interviews here on Galway Bay FM between now and 12 midday. A very good morning to you and you're welcome into today's programme. If you want to get in contact with us, you can on our text and WhatsApp number. That's 86 That's brought to you by Rational Windows, bringing together daylight, beauty and warmth to truly amplify your happy home. You can also email us here, comments at goibayfm.ie. And you can also call trays or reception on 0917 Of course, a little later on today in the 10 o'clock hour, we'll be giving you the chance to win with thanks to Mubles of Briar Hill Business Park. They have their big stock clearance happening now. So we'll have a hundred euro voucher to give away between now and Friday every day to one lucky listener. Now, though, on the programme, let's get into it because I want to start off talking with something we discussed yesterday. There's a call for amendments to be made to the Mother and Baby Homes Redress Scheme with 40% of survivors included. Now, this redress bill will be going and presented to the doll later on this evening. And to discuss this further, we're joined on the line by Deputy Sean Canney and we're joined in studio as well by Breda Murphy of the uh, Chew Mother and Baby Homes Alliance. Uh, very good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Deputy Sean Kenny, I'll start with you. Talk to us about this redress bill that's coming before the doll this evening. I know there's been a lot of opposition to it, both from TDs and survivor groups as well. Um, just talk to us about the, the, the fallbacks of it. Well, first of all, uh, the redress scheme uh, was uh, part of the uh, promise by government when they apologised to people who were in mother and baby's homes that uh, a redress scheme would be put in place to actually uh, maybe help people who had gone through such trauma. Uh, there, there was a, a it was brought in for second stage into the uh, Dáil Chamber two weeks ago, and amendments which had been put in uh, were ruled out of order. And the problem with it is that the bill, as it is structured at the moment, um, excludes about 40% of the babies who were in mothers and babies' homes across the country uh, for the simple fact that one of the criteria to qualify for the redress scheme is that you had to spend six months within uh, an, uh, one of these homes. That uh, is something that has caused huge stress and has actually added to the stress that uh, these people have, survivors have already been going through throughout their lives. That whilst we've had public condemnation of what happened, we've had uh, apologies from governments, we've had all of that, and yet when it comes to a redress scheme, that this cruel, uh, I would say, implement has been used where, as I described it in the doll myself, it seems um, a child would have to serve an apprenticeship of six months before they would qualify and uh, I think it has been eloquently um, set out in the doll that the uh, pain that a child goes through at separation from their mother um, is there uh, and, and you don't have to wait six months to uh, 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 
experienced that. Uh, the minister uh, refused to accept amendments uh, which were to uh, uh, delete the six months provision and put it in as one day uh, from the bill on the grounds that it was going to cost money. So I think this is the kernel of all of this, that um, the uh, government have ruled out um, uh, uh, some very legitimate amendments to the bill uh, and are ploughing through with this bill, uh, which I think will be um, is flawed, but also is actually very hurtful and very um, damaging for a lot of people who uh, experience such trauma back in their in in in, in time. Mm. And I I I I'm at pains to understand, and we pleaded with the minister irrespective of anything else, that the people, the survivors, are treated with respect. And of all the things that I have been through with uh, talking to survivors along the last number of years, they've never talked about money. I think it's about the the fact that they uh, get recognition. And the redress screen was a recognition. It wasn't going to solve any problem, but it was a recognition that a wrong was done to them and it was going to be uh, a redress scheme was put in place to help them. And the fact that it now excludes 40% of the survivors is actually a damning indictment of how, how flawed this bill is. Yeah, We've put the call out to uh, local uh, government ministers and TDs and representatives. We've been met with deafening silence this morning on the issue. I know that uh, Minister Hildegard Nocton is, of course, the chief whip and uh, Minister Anne Rabbit is involved in the Department of, of Children is there after um, the disabilities portfolio was moved there. So we are awaiting. We, we offer uh, right now on air as well the opportunity for them to come on and discuss this a bit further. But can you see anyone breaking ranks this evening or will this bill simply be pushed through like many other bills are, Sean? Well, looking at what happened uh, two weeks ago, I don't believe that um, the government will lose any votes, uh, will lose votes on this. Uh, I would be hoping that uh, people will see uh, that this is not right and maybe try and convince the minister and the government uh, side, including the Department of Finance and, and Deeper, that that the funding uh, or the money involved here uh, is a necessary, uh, I suppose, token uh, to uh, the the forty percent of survivors uh, who who are now being excluded from the scheme, and it's also causing huge division and creating uh, two categories of survivor, which I think all of that is basically wrong. Uh, the re redress scheme. The concept of it is fine, but it has been completely tarnished by this uh, guillotine of uh, the criteria to qualify and is actually creating huge pain. Right, the amount of emails I've received over the last two weeks, uh, we've received uh, over a thousand emails from people who are actually totally disgusted with this. And I'd be hoping that before this evening is out that the government <coughs> may see the wisdom or the lack of wisdom in the in the pathway that they're following with, with this redress scheme and hopefully that we will get something uh, to actually uh, make sure that everybody is treated equally. And just to touch on those 40% of people who will be excluded, on one hand, the government have apologised for the abuse and on the other hand then, this exclusion from the scheme sort of diminishes their uh, experience and brings back that trauma again. 
Well, this is it. And I think it's, it's, this is all about the principle and, and it's not about the, the, the money for survivors. It's, it's, it's not about that. Uh, um, God help us. Anybody who, who is any survivor who's there, they have been through a huge amount of trauma in their lives. And this scheme was more or less a, a, a principle that look at you have been wronged and the state was going to give you some redress. It wasn't going to make him, it's not going to make a millionaire out for anybody. But I do believe that the principle of it was that anybody who went into a nursing home uh, is actually a survivor. And that redress scheme that's now been put in place should deal with survivors full stop. I do believe that a lot of people have been re-traumatized by the um, the way that this bill has been, um, what I call, structured and the fact that they have excluded 40% of survivors. It actually is wrong. And I said that to the minister and I pleaded with him uh, as a man of principle that he should look at this and say, right, this is wrong. Maybe he's been overruled by his officials in his department. I don't know, but I certainly believe that this is something that needs to be addressed in the next couple of hours. Okay. Uh, Deputy Kenny, you might just stay on the line there if you don't mind, uh, because I want to bring into the conversation now uh, uh, Breda uh, Murphy from the Chew Mother and Baby Home Alliance. Uh, Breda, good morning to you. And we was talking to you yesterday, and we did get a good reaction out of it. One comment that came into us there uh, Breda Murphy is a fantastic lady who works tirelessly for survivors of these institutions, myself included. I have myself contacted several of our representatives, including the former Taoiseach, Mr. Martin, Minister O'Gorman, and a number of Western TDs outlining my own case. The cowardice in their behaviour is astonishing. I've given them the horrendous details of my life, details which I know are echoed by so many. I have received the standard sympathetic email, and yet uh, they can blatantly vote against the bill. They know that it is absolutely wrong. I look forward to the day they come to the door looking for my vote. This is just exhausting. I can't imagine how Breda keeps going. She's an amazing person. That sums it up all there in one little correspondence we got via email, Breda. Yeah, and that's very true, um, John. I think that the government are not listening, and you asked a very pertinent question there earlier as to would anybody break ranks. And if we look at what Dennis Nocton did in his own area in 2011, um, the Roscommon Hospital, the emergency department was being closed, and he was then under the party whip of Fine Gael, and he broke ranks, and he was elected each time. I know he's retiring shortly, mm. but... I think to to stand with your people, like Sean is doing, and we met Sean the last time that the vote was taken a couple of weeks ago in Dáil Éireann, um, to stand with the people is to show solidarity with your constituents. And it is really telling that Hildegard Nocton and Minister Anne Rabbit have not responded. They are our, uh, in our area. I have engaged with them or attempted to yeah. and it is really demoralising to see that time and again the survivors decades on are still looking for justice and as regards the email you got I have received so many emails because generally what happens is that there is a stigma around having a baby out of wedlock in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s in Ireland and so when a person passes away 
sometimes in the UK or the United States and the story tumbles out and you have a half sibling ring me up in floods of tears to say, I believe my brother is one of the tomb babies. Where do I go from here? So they are battling from the outset and the people who are excluded, 24,000 people excluded from redress by the stroke of a pen. Those people live within our communities and those people, the apology you spoke of earlier, is inapplicable. The minister has not apologised to these people for what they went through and they will never receive that apology uh, if they are dependent and looking at it purely from a monetary point of view. Uh, we're talking about pittance here. The 800 million pales into insignificance when we look at what, and I'm not at all saying that the people who are uh, affected by the MICA and the um, Donegal and Sligo areas, they certainly deserve full compensation. But to look at, they will receive at least three times the budget that is set aside there. And yet the minister will come into the all air in time and again and say this is the biggest redress proposal of the state. Mm. It's not, even with regard to the industrial schools. But the government are hell-bent, as I said yesterday, on this plan of action. And I would call on Anne Rabbit, if she's listening, and Hildegard Nocton, to come and speak to us, to let us know what their rationale is for voting with the government that excludes 24,000 people. And they're certainly welcome to come on the programme as well this morning. That's That call is out there. Um, just give us your reaction to the letter from Minister O'Gorman yesterday. Not much substance in it, is there? There's absolutely nothing in it. And I'm, I've, I've said yesterday, the timing of it is really significant because of the vote today. There was uh, nothing new as regards the excavation in Tume. The director has not been appointed as yet. And even when the director is appointed, there are a whole range of specialities that have to be um, put in place as well. And then we have uh, an office that has to be set up within possibly a short distance of the site itself. Um, there are major challenges and those do not appear to be ironed out. The, the minister told us last year, in fact last September, that early 2023 the excavation works would begin in June. Well, we're in early 2023 and, um, you know, by the end of the year, will we see a sod turn, turned in June? I really hope so because families are waiting for their lost loved ones who are, after all, below the ground in Shum. And Dr. Neve McCullough in 2016 and 2017 did a test excavation and she, by her own admission, said that the remains then um, had to be removed within the six-month period of that. So that was still within uh, October of 2017 mm. in order that the remains could be matched with the families of the lost children. Talk to us about the bill this evening. I know you're going to head up to Dublin uh, to be in the gallery to see over, uh, over proceedings there. It was meant to be at around five o'clock. I believe it's been pushed back. There seems to be an effort to keep this out of the media cycle. Um, it is uh, It is on this evening. There's still a point in time for the three bills. They've, they've introduced another part. But what they have said is that the voting for this would be at or after 8.30 in the evening. Now that, again, is really relevant because our people are in their 70s and 80s. In fact, last time we went up, the average age of us there was possibly 72. So 
to come back from Dublin at um, maybe around half nine, ten o'clock at night. There is no public transport. The train has already left. And it is a long day for people of our age profile. So the government should, if they really put the um, survivors at the heart of this redress bill, which they say they're doing, if they were doing so, then they would have a gathering at 12 o'clock in the day. And I was able to participate before that with the uh, opposition who speak for us regularly and they will today um, speak again. They are just fantastic. Um, you know, Holly Cairns, Sean Canney spoke as he, as he did last time and will speak again today, I'm sure. It's just demoralising at this stage that we are dragged to the um, houses of the Oireachtas in order to get the human rights of people who were denied them for decades uh, listened to and heard and acknowledged. Mm. We did put the call out yesterday and we tried to get someone, a survivor from the Galway area to come on the programme today. Um, we didn't succeed in that endeavour, although we will have someone on tomorrow um, f- based out of Dublin. What is the reason that we, we couldn't get, because we are getting a lot of correspondence from emails of people, but they want to keep their confidentiality. I know there might be judicial reviews. Uh, there could be other factors at play here. Chuma, of course, anyone who is coming out of the, the Chew Mother and Baby Home, they would be entitled to this redress scheme. What's your sense of it? I think there's still a very large stigma attaching to having been in a mother and baby home. And that stigma stems from the Oireachtas, quite frankly, from the government. Because until the government admit their wrongdoing and hold the institutions of both the Catholic Church and GlaxoSmithKline, who took over the um, vaccine trials and those companies that were employed then, until that happens, I think that people are still believing that they somehow the government regard them not as a victim but actually as somebody looking for recognition for something they're not entitled to and we all know for instance in 1946 in Tralee and this was sort of mentioned on Liveline the other day a young girl um, who was 13 spoke to Joe Duffy on Liveline on Monday and she had become pregnant and giving birth at the age of 13 her parents wanted to keep her home because she was the victim of a rape and uh, they wanted to look after her but the local hospital would not deliver any service to an unwed mother um, Mm -hmm. at that time. So in 1946, a lady called Peggy McCarthy in Listole in Kerry had become pregnant. She had remained at home. Her siblings had gone abroad as they had to in those years uh, for uh, uh, economic reasons. She couldn't get a job in Ireland. So she stayed at home with her family and um, she became pregnant and Uh, Her mother and a midwife attempted to deliver the baby. They couldn't do so. The nearest hospital was four miles away. They drove her to the hospital to find the door closed in her face. The local hackney man, her neighbour, drove her a further 16 miles. Again, that hospital would not accommodate her. And a further hospital 20 miles away did. Peggy died as she was giving birth. Her daughter was starved, they think, of oxygen and was thus uh, disabled as a result. And the grandparents reared that child. But when the grandmother passed away, 
that child named Breda was taken into care, into the care of the state and placed in a Magdalen home. So it's like history repeating itself. And those stories where the community at that time in Listowel stood up against the church because they were not willing to bury Peggy in consecrated ground. So literally the community stormed that mm. um, church gate and ensured that Peggy got that um, burial that she was so entitled to. And I know of cases here in Galway, in Moycullen, for instance, where w- the um, the schools were, there was, there was about to be a closure of a school and the local community rose up against it. And uh, one of the people who had enabled the school to remain open was told as he was attending the church that he wasn't welcome. And he went past and said, the church belongs to everyone. It is a community. And I think that's what we need to do to challenge the perceptions that are there to stand for the now elderly men and women who have been in institutional care and for the government to show leadership for once and for all, for Roderick O'Gorman, to push back against anyone that is saying to him, you cannot deliver to 24,000 people, you cannot acknowledge. That is absolutely discriminatory. It will be held up at a judicial review. We will win that argument and it will cost the state ultimately. I'll give the final word to uh, Deputy Sean Kenny. Uh, Deputy Kenny, will you be in correspondence with both ministers locally here, Minister Hildegard Nocton and Minister Anne Rabbit, and, and trying to put pressure on to, to get this bill voted down this evening, or can you see anything like that happening in the next while? Um, I, 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 honestly, I don't see anything like this happening where enough of people will actually, uh, government TDs will actually... Um, decide to do what in this particular case is right. I do believe that um, when you listen to Breda there and you listen to survivors, you realise, you know, what did happen. And I think that what is happening today in the Dáil, if it goes through as the government intended to go through, will be another, um, what I would describe, another um, shot of anguish. Uh, for survivors and there's no explanation for it other than it's going to cost additional money and I think it's shame on the government if that is the motivation for not allowing all survivors to be considered under the redress scheme Mm. and I would be still hopeful but I'm I'm very very small hope that the minister might see some sense uh, before uh, the vote happens this evening um, so it, it is it is pretty uh, um, unthinkable that this bill will be passed and it will exclude 40% of the survivors. But that's what we're facing this evening, unless there's a change of heart by government between now and then. Well, we'll be sticking with it tomorrow as well. We have survivors coming on tomorrow, but we've run out of time today on it. But as I said, we will be following this through as much as we can. If there is anyone out there who wants to talk, if you're in Galway, you have our number 0863833553. We'd love to keep the pressure on here and, and try and get justice for all those who are affected by this um, across the region and indeed the country as well. Still to come up on the programme, we're talking to Dr. Aideen Ryan. That's about uh, Global Congenital Heart Disease Awareness Month. Stay with us. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you and you're welcome back into today's programme. Now, though, we're going to turn our attention to 
this event that's been happening uh, it was to mark the global uh, congenial uh, uh, con- congenital heart disease awareness month and I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Dr. Aideen Ryan she she specialises in paediatrics with expertise in cardiology there at University Hospital Galway Dr. Aideen Ryan good morning to you Good morning and thank you, thank you for having me on. No problem at all. Talk to us though about Congenital Heart Disease Awareness Month. Okay, so congenital heart disease is actually the commonest um, structural abnormality that babies can be born with. And there's about 500 to 600 children born with this in Ireland every year. And I think it's a thing that people generally only know about if they have a child who's been affected themselves or if they know a child who's been affected. And it can be a significant problem. It can range from... Not very significant to very, very significant indeed, but multiple surgeries need it. Um, so my role here in Galway is to offer care for children who live within the Connacht area. And it's shared care between myself and the Department of Paediatric Cardiology in Crumlin. So we work together to look after these children. And I have a nurse specialist here um, called Emer Ryan, who does very valuable work with the parents as well. And she's a point of contact if they're concerned about anything. Um, I'm in post in Galway since September the 1st, 2021, and in that time I've seen about 1,300 children here with cardiac issues. Wow, so it is very widespread and prevalent. Yes, it is. It is a lot more prevalent than people think. I mean, obviously, when people think of cardiology, they think of adults having heart attacks, um, but actually there's a significant burden of health issues with children with uh, structural heart problems as well. Talk to us about some of the fallout of this condition because it does have widespread health ramifications. Absolutely. Um, So in Ireland, a lot of the serious heart problems are diagnosed before the child is even born, which is great. Um, So there's a few consultants in Dublin who do great work doing fetal echocardiogram, which is where they're scanning the hearts of babies before they're even born. And obviously that has to be flagged from a 20-week ultrasound that an obstetrician would refer them that there is something funny looking on the heart. Um, And if it's a serious problem, then that child needs to deliver in a Dublin hospital generally. Um, But the beauty of me being here in Galway is that a few children that have kind of moderate severity problems have been able to be born in Galway instead of having to go to Dublin with all the kind of upheavals that would entail. Because, you know, if they have other children, who looks after them and they have to live in Dublin for several weeks around the time the baby is due and then live in Dublin after the baby is born as well. So it's a huge upheaval from a social, from a psychological, even a financial point of view for parents um, and for the kids with the severe heart problems, you know, it's 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 like a marathon. Um, the problems are really only starting once they're born and some of them have to have multiple, multiple surgeries. Often uh, some of them need surgeries when the, within the first few hours of being born, depending on the nature of the problem. So obviously this is very traumatic for parents and it's great for them to have a point of contact closer to home so they can liaise with myself or Emer or both, depending on what they need. Um, so they don't necessarily always have to travel to Dublin. So that's a huge burden off them. And a lot of parents here would feel that it's great to have us as a point of call and someone they can see locally without having to drive for three hours to get to Dublin. Yeah, That need for multiple surgeries as the child develops, is that because the heart is getting bigger and then more holes can appear and you need to sew them up? Or what's the the, the need for the multiple surgeries? Or is it just that they're too young? um, 
Yeah, so I'll explain that to you. So the good news with holes in your heart is you, they never get bigger and you never develop more of them. So in general, you're born with a, you have the problem you were born with. Um, but the children who need multiple surgeries, usually there are children who are born where part of the heart hasn't formed properly. So that's either hypoplastic left heart or hypoplastic right heart syndrome. And basically that has to be stage surgeries because they can't do it all in one go. So they need to let the lungs mature and the blood pressure within the lungs fall before they can go on to the next stage of the surgery. So usually those children usually have their third surgery around the age of between three and four. So it's it's a long road for parents of children with that problem. Now this uh, February is the month uh, to mark global congenital heart disease. What benefits are there from, from highlighting it? Um, well, I think to just increase public awareness and I think to help with uh, families of children affected to, you know, that they're recognised and seen and that they're not alone and that there are lots of other children and families affected too. So I think there's that. And then, like, obviously, research t- towards congenital heart disease, like if it helps to raise awareness of extra funding needed for that, um, because paediatric cardiac surgery is a relatively new discipline like a lot of the surgeries were only developed within the last 30 years so it's very new so any public awareness that brings extra funding towards research for it you know can only be a good thing for children outside of the physical aspects of the condition i know the research shows that up to 50 percent of people living with the condition endure a lifetime of prevalence of anxiety depression and post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of this condition that's a huge statistic it is, it is. And, you know, it, it has to be acknowledged. I mean, the stress of having a child in the intensive care and, you know, parents, you know, if their child is having heart surgery, it doesn't matter if it's just to fix a hole or if it's to do something much more major to them. The impact is equally traumatic and that has to be acknowledged. Um, like having being told that the baby you are carrying that you thought was healthy is going to need to be delivered in Dublin and need major surgery within a few hours of being born. I mean, you'd need to be a very resilient person to not be completely traumatised by that. So it's it's earth shattering for parents of children who have that diagnosis. I know. And, yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry, go on. And um, that's what Heart Children Ireland, which is a charity in Ireland, they try to help parents with that and provide supports to the family and psychological support and family therapy as it's needed. Mm. I know the Beat Goes On conference was held in Dublin at the weekend. Uh, you might just talk to us a bit about that. And are there similar types of events planned for the West? Um, I don't think there are similar types of events planned for the West. But um, the good news is Heart Children Ireland are trying to extend their scope beyond just Dublin. Um, because obviously a lot of the cardiac surgery and so forth happened in Dublin. So it had been quite Dublin-centric until recently. Um, but there was... Uh, a sort of meet and greet evening here held in Galway a few weeks ago and um, some of the parents of children with cardiac problems came to that. Myself and Emer met with them and gave presentations at it. So it wasn't a big conference, but it was a good step on kind of engaging with people outside of the hospital setting. Mm. And I wasn't at the conference at the weekend myself, but I understand it was for um, older children and teenagers who are living with congenital heart disease, um, which again is great for them to know that there's other kids their age because adolescence is a particularly challenging time and even more so when you have a major cardiac diagnosis. Mm. It's great though that there is so much that can be done to treat people with this condition nowadays because it must give you great satisfaction as well when you see children who have had the surgeries and they come back and, and they're doing so well. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you see children who are, you know, doing very poorly on multiple drugs to help with heart failure, needing to be fed via a tube through their nose. They go off to have their surgery and they come back and there's this little fat, happy, cheerful baby and everybody is delighted and it's so much stress taken off the parent's mind. I mean, obviously, that's with the more straightforward heart problems. Um, but, you know, the, the surgery generally has a very good outcome for the vast majority of children and children are very resilient. They do bounce back very quickly after the surgery, like much more quickly than adults would. And it really puts into perspective life as well and, and the joy it brings to the families that just to have their kid back and healthy again, it makes such a difference exactly. in people's lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It really, really does. Um, you know, they're, they're getting the baby that they hoped they were getting, but it has been after a traumatic start. But once they've had the surgery, generally they take off in leaps and bounds and they, they do fantastically. And it's really nice to see. It's very rewarding for us as well. Now, Heart Children is a charity that was founded in 1990 and it's dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people with congenital heart disease and their families as well. It's done great work in terms of fundraising for a ladies' hospital for sick children as well and it also offers the range of family psychological support services that you have outlined as well, free to members. If people want to support that cause, how do they do so? Um, they can search for Heart Children Ireland and look on their website and they're always happy to accept donations. Um, I'm not involved in that side of things, but mm. they, they are a registered charity, so yeah. they are publicly searchable. So That's heartchildren.ie if people want more details on that there. But uh, Dr. Aideen Ryan from University Hospital Galway, who specialises in paediatrics with expertise in cardiology, thank you indeed for joining us on no Galway Talks. At all. Thank you very much for having me on. It was lovely to talk to you. Still to come, it's Ash Wednesday and also National No Smoking Day. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. And you're very welcome back into today's programme. Now, though, it's Ash Wednesday, but it's also National No Smoking Day. And I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Angela Curran. She is the Quit Smoking West Coordinator, Health Promotion and Improvement Officer. Angela, a very good morning to you. Good morning, John. Talk to us, though. Ash Wednesday, it's also National No Smoking Day. Yes, yeah, so today we're trying to encourage a lot of people to quit. Um, you know, to set it as a quit day to start um, the programme, which we run, which is normally for a six to seven week behavioural programme, where we provide, you know, support to, to help people to quit, to put the things in place for them. And um, with that, we provide free nicotine replacement therapy um, through a chemist local to them, but they need to come, you know, through us to get that. And that's um, a fantastic initiative, you know what I mean, to help people to quit because that on average costs 500 euros per person, the nicotine replacement therapy. So we provide both the behavioural support and the nicotine replacement therapy. And with those, both of those, people are four times more likely to quit. Okay, and uh, the nicotine replacement therapy, that seems to be a good way of people actually staying off the cigarettes because it proves that uh, they're four times more likely to stay off smoking when they use that. Yes, exactly. So what the nicotine replacement therapy is, is that it's, it's clean nicotine into their system, so it helps them cope with the withdrawal symptoms and it helps them manage that. And also then just over time, we wing them off that over the 12 week period. So then by week 12, you know what I mean? They're they're smoke free, they're nicotine free and um, on their journey to better health because smoking causes 6,000 deaths a year in Ireland, uh, 1,000 hospitalizations every week due to smoking related diseases. 
So we're really, like the HSE nationally, are really, really trying to help people to quit. And we have 12 stuff smoking advisors across um, Galway, Mayo and Wisconsin, you know, to support people to quit. Um, so today is really an, a huge promotion for us. And we're in shopping centres all across the, the region today, you know what I mean, to give information to people. And if people want to sign up, you know what I mean, we can take their details and contact them in the coming weeks, you know what I mean, and work with them to quit. And thankfully... To date, we have more quitters than smokers, but still uh, the percentage is 18% of people at the moment in the population smoke, so we're trying to get that down you know, to 5% by 2025, which is quite ambitious, but we hope to do it. Well, the trends have definitely been going in the right direction over the years. Uh, the number of people smoking nowadays is much, much less than it was, we'll say, even 20 years ago. Yes, definitely. And what we're trying to do is denormalise smoking. Like some people that come to us and say, oh, my friends, you know, none of them smoke anymore on the, on the odd one out, you know what I mean? And I really want to quit. And so we very much encourage that. So we're, we have huge initiatives as well across GAA, you know, playgrounds that, you know, there's no, you know, no smoking um, campuses, free, tobacco-free campuses and not around us, you know what I mean, in relation to playgrounds or play areas where children are hanging out so they don't get any secondhand smoke. Um, yeah, so hopefully... Hopefully, John, by the end of this year, we can reduce it by another few percent. You know what I mean? Last year in the region, we supported 500 people to quit, which is fantastic. You know what I mean? So we're hoping to keep keep working on those numbers. Mm. I so know if anybody's interested, you know what I mean? Sorry, they can no, contact us on 091-775-485. That's 091-775. Yeah, no, that's 091-775-485. No, I was just going to say to you that in other jurisdictions, I know there are moves to maybe even ban smoking uh, for those of a certain age um, I'm thinking in, in, the, in the realms of New Zealand and that is that something you'd like to see considered even stricter measures again um, or what do you think of that? Yes definitely anybody born after 1994 in New Zealand are, will not be physically able to buy a cigarette which is, which is fantastic you know what I mean yes I'd love to see it here um, another controversial issue is vaping and we'd love to see the government you know ban that um, that you know nobody under the age of 18 could buy an e-cigarette because we know that there's a link between vaping and cigarette smoking, that people who vape are three to five times more likely to just go on to smoke cigarettes. Mm. So we're trying, you know what I mean, um, to push that through as well. But at the moment, our concentration is to get people to quit smoking um, because of the huge damage that it's doing to their health. Yeah. Um, a lot of referrals we're getting from hospitals are people, you know, who maybe have lung cancer or... COPD, you know, breathing difficulties or cardiovascular disease, um, you know, where they've had heart attacks and uh, they really, really need to quit. Yeah, so we'd love to see more restrictions on it. But I mean, Ireland were, you know, was one of the first countries to introduce the smoking ban and we're actually, we're the top of the table in Europe as regards tobacco control. So we are doing quite well, but we just need to do more. Yeah. I know you mentioned vaping as well there. Just briefly, I, I know there's a lack of evidence of what health ramifications that could have. Yes, but we do know that it, it does lead to increased blood pressure, do you know what I mean? And that it, um, some of the chemicals that are in the e-cigarettes um, are causing, you know, some lung issues and breathing difficulties. Um, that's what we know so far. So, um, And also the link between vaping and cigarette smoke, um, you know what I mean, is quite strong. And then that we know that some people put other things in the, the vapes other than nicotine that can be, you know... Um, synthetic cannabis, the THC, which is quite dangerous. And I believe, you know, there's a lot of incidents. And unfortunately, in some schools and secondary schools where children are, you know, being transported to hospital because of, you know, issues with vaping. So 
we really would like to see, you know, government initiatives there where they could um, ban the sale of e-cigarettes to under 18s. We'll have to leave it there. Angela Curran, the Quit Smoking West Coordinator, Health Promotion and Improvement Officer. Thank you for joining us on Galway Talks. All right. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Just briefly to our comment line there, I see a text coming in. I gave up smoking six years ago, but I'm on Nicorette Spray since, and I can't seem to get off of it. Well, maybe I'd advise you to um, touch base with those in the uh, Quit Smoking West team there. Uh, their number is 091-775-485 and they can give you all the help you need. You can also email quitsmoking.west at hse.ie for more details there. We'll be back with plenty more news, views and interviews after these. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie.